0: Testing, one, two, three, testing, 52, 52 weeks a year, ladies and gentlemen. We're here every week for you at Northern Seminary, Griffith Conference Room. Woo! Welcome to
1: another episode of Theology on Mission. Sitting here with David Fitch, you already introduce us in at the Griffiths Conference Room. Northern Seminary on Northern's. Thanksgiving week,
0: ladies and gentlemen. And uh, I don't know if you know, but for those out there who don't, Thanksgiving week is really uh, Thanksgiving week. In other words, there's no classes. Everybody's gone. There's a little bit of uh, holiday festivity in the air.
1: You could say it's a tradition here at Northern not to have classes on Thanksgiving. Yes. We traditionally celebrate a traditional holiday here at uh, in course, the United you States of America.
0: Home, when you get home from Thanksgiving, boom, you got two more weeks of the quarter. Uh, last week is exams, papers, et cetera, due. So, really, if you think you're taking the week off, you're gonna be. And then shape. right
1: after that, you jump into the traditions of Christmas, Christmas. which at Starbucks this year has totally, you know. Just Done away with, and now they only have a red cup. But just Come on, really, are you gonna bring that up? Yeah, really, because it's all about traditions. Uh, and as really? Jesus said, as Jesus said, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your Amen. tradition, thus making void the word of when God we, by your <laughs> tradition that you have handed down in many such things. Oh, see, I see where Jesus you're going. was against the Pharisees in their traditions, in St. Paul, even yeah. though he was a Pharisee once. He understood it the same way. See to it, in Colossians. He says, "See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human what? Come on. Thank you. Tradition. According to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to
0: Christ. We still don't know where you're going with this.
1: And Galatians, for I did not receive it from any man speaking of the gospel, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation. See, obviously. Now that we've without dispute." Paul and Jesus were against traditions, which brings us to our topic today, which is... If there's
0: anybody still listening.
1: Denominations (laughs) and their doctrines.
0: From Northern Seminary, in partnership with Missio Alliance, this is Theology on Mission, the podcast exploring God and integrating faith and life. Here are your hosts, Jeff Holsklau and David Fitch.
1: denominations and their doctrines, who has a place for such a thing? That's what we're talking about
0: today. Well, I think the topic, okay, can we get real here for a second? I think the denominations, uh, the topic for today is really about denominations. And uh, the fact that denominations, it's probably time in the United States of America and that great country to the North, Canada, for denominations to give up being denominations and become mission Organizations. Yeah. Organizing communities for mission. Uh, traditionally, denominations in the United States and Canada have organized their mission departments to send missionaries overseas to other places. It's now safe to say the United States and Canada, to a large extent, are a mission field. Whereas other places in the world, i.e. Africa, i.e. South America... Other places are more Christian than the United States of America, if you can believe that, ladies and gentlemen. And so it's time for us to think about denominational call differently. Wouldn't you agree, Mr. Jeff?
1: That our denominations should, yeah, that they should think of themselves more as mission mobilization uh, movements. Ooh, that was a a triple M.
0: Missional mobilization. (laughs) Oops. (laughs) Missions
1: mobilization movements rather than denominations which end up and kind of solidifying into institutional patterns. A lot of these
0: institutions... Well, no, wait a minute. Denominations had an original... You know, H. Richard Niebuhr, denomination social structures, uh, as, as different emphases needed to take place within Christendom. Anyways, I put this uh, in, in line with this theme that we're talking about. I put this on my Facebook today. It got... Uh, well, so far it's got... It was you know, shared a whole bunch and a lot of comments. Seven likes which is, you know, pretty good. Uh, But uh, I said when hundreds of young, potential, solid, Christ-loving, mission-driven ordinance, people going into the ministry, walk away from denominations shaking their heads, well, denominations have to start asking, are these odd doctrines, disciplines, unique to our denomination, really orthodox, or really what Christianity is all about, or really what we're all about, Or are they our own pet ways of talking from 50 to 100 years ago that no longer make sense today and indeed have gotten in the way of the mission of Christ to our world? I contend a lot of denominations are in that last uh, sentence worth uh, in terms of characterization. You and I are part of a denomination. We love our denomination. We see our denomination as a very... Uh, vital uh, institution. But we worry sometimes that like things like premillennialism, inerrancy, inerrancy not from the standpoint that it is not good to uphold the authority of Scripture, but inerrancy from the standpoint of the way it's a stumbling path to upholding the authority of Scripture, keeps people thinking good, powerful, contextual leaders from entering the ministry through the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Yes,
1: well, so a couple things. So do you have I comment agree. on
0: what I just said? Do you agree? or
1: I agree that a lot of times, so when you say 15... picky
0: own little beliefs and doctrines and disciplines that are literally 100 years old, is, that were born in a time and place and had some legitimacy, yes. say in 1924, 100 years later are making no sense to anybody and yet we want to hold on to them because we're the denomination of Mm premillennialism, or if we give this up, somehow we're going to be less than what we were. I'm sorry, folks. That's a recipe for extinction.
1: Right, and so these denominational distinctives, which had a certain missional and contextual necessity from which they sprang from, which they were in the fabric of the culture and the surrounding world that they were birthed out of 50 to 100 years ago with the holiness and the charismatic movements, Uh, But now they've moved from contextual awareness to just institutional identity, where it's just we're affirming this because this is who we are, rather than we're affirming this because this is how God's at work in the place we are. Right, is this what Yes. Saying, and we need to get back to the mentality of we affirm things because it's a way of getting the story of Jesus straight within this particular context. We don't just affirm this because it's what we've always affirmed. So and I think that's what Jesus was getting at because obviously when he was disputing with the Pharisees, he didn't think that all of God's word and scripture was invalid. It's just that the direction that they had taken it was had gotten way off and there was no mission involved at all. In fact, it was a way of excluding God's mission and presence from the ordinary people.
0: Well said. Brilliant. Let's take a few of these uh, peculiarities, uh these picayune little ideas. Word
1: for the day. What does picayune
0: mean? I have no idea, but it sounds nice. I love strange. that word. I think but,
1: it means uh, little
0: and, uh it means little things that could that get, that, get in the that way there, yeah. that are peculiar, that nobody understands anymore, blah, blah blah. well so let let's look some let's, examples. uh okay, so I, I'll throw out about four of these, and you can comment with me inerrancy. okay, I actually think inerrancy served a legit role. Back in the 1920s when we were stuck in a modern christendom epistemological construct where everybody was on the same page and we were trying to defend the authority of scripture from overseas the german liberal liberalism uh, historical criticism which was undermining the historical veracity of the text so it made some sense unfortunately shoot forward a hundred years from now And inerrancy not only doesn't do the same work, it, in essence, undermines the authority of Scripture. At least I would argue that. And, you know, famously in Prodigal Christianity, uh, I wrote in there that um, when I went before my ordination council and they asked me if I agreed with inerrancy, I said yes, but it's too liberal Liberal. for me. In other words, what it does is it locates authority outside of the text itself and puts it on the category of error and who gets to call it an error i.e. historical critical sciences so forth i'm against that so i think we need a higher view of authority than inerracy can afford that's one example of how a particular doctrinal picayune concept can go from serving a positive function to actually being a negative function
1: right Good. And so that's a certain commitment to science at the time that 100 plus years ago maybe was rational and was well received and it was uh, contextual in the sense that people were looking for truth and truth was a category in which people were very much open to debating and arguing about. But now truth is not the fundamental category that people approach reality with. It's much more its feelings, its experience. And so a dog's what? commitment to inerrancy is not really an open door anymore, For anyone.
0: This is why you almost flunked your ordination exam. I did not almost <laughs> flunk it. <laughs> but I, went but through. I would say that the category of inerrancy, the epistemology of individual rationalism, has been broadened out and expanded so far beyond that in our current culture that inerrancy almost under... Well, it, it does undermine the authority of Scripture and gives it to someplace else in the construct of, let's say... The secular mindset that we're trying to engage. Let's take another one. Premillennialism. Mm-hmm. Premillennial back. Are you paying attention? Or I am. Or, no, you're not. You're on your I'm phone. I'm
1: live tweeting about recording episode oh. of theology mission okay. right now.
0: On denominationalism. P- premillennialism. Okay, back 20, uh, 200 uh, years ago, uh, premillennial was the way to uh, articulate
1: the evangelical churches from the progressive. We didn't call
0: them progressive back then, but the people who were highly suspicious of the second coming, the bodily return, started using other categories, the progressive work of God in history, pre-mill, was a way of defining oneself over against that. It was basically an affirmation of the imminent return, physical bodily return of Jesus Christ. It was like
1: the correlate to affirming the bodily resurrection. And yeah, Christ truly rose from the dead, and Christ will truly, in bodily form, return again.
0: Nowadays, a hundred years later, it's affiliated with more of a, uh, um, a pretty narrow view of dispensationalism, and it actually works against the affirm. Well, I won't say it works against, but it highly confuses it. Uh, so that it's very hard to get at the root of the matter for people. It's a Christendom construct that no longer serves the purpose it was originally, created, originally articulated for. And what about alcohol and 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 legalism and going from 100 years ago in the teetotaler movement to now? Have you got some comments on that?
1: Well, I think for a lot of the holiness movement pe- uh, churches, they were actually engaged in front lines of missions with uh, alcoholism, uh, inner city missions. And for them, it wasn't just a legalistic... Posture, it was actually, we are in and amidst alcoholics, uh, addicts, we're living with them, we're converting them, and it is a stumbling block for us to participate in any way, and so therefore we're hindering the mission of God, and so their commitment to um, not drinking alcohol was a commitment to... Um, engaging in mission in the streets. But then, fast forward 50 years, fast forward 100 years, is a lot of holiness denominations are not front and center into the urban context. They've retreated into the suburbs. They're kind of isolated, ingrown communities. And now nobody knows them at all from from anyone else. So who knows if they're drinking or not? It affects their witness absolutely uh, in the least well, bit. And so uh, now this has become an identity marker rather than a wise and engaged missional posture. And,
0: and even worse than that, it's become a legalism uh, identity mark. It has become an identity marker that that identifies us with a legalism, as opposed to a work of the Holy Spirit, forming and shaping our character, so that we can be in the bars mm-hmm. and witness to the reality and presence of Jesus Christ in our lives, and even in that bar. So we have, in essence, taken what was probably a good thing a hundred years ago and turned it into something which separates us from mission.
1: And this is what Paul, you know, speaks about the difference between the spirit and the letter, is the spirit and the spirit of love and the spirit of wisdom had led groups of people into a certain direction around certain doctrines and certain practices for that particular time, but then as things progress and as denominations grow and as things um, become standardized the Spirit turns into the letter, and then the letter is just something we affirm, just because that's what we affirm, and now the Spirit's not at work. And in fact, a lot of times we forget how to discern the Spirit. So we're no longer discerning the Spirit in our lives, denominations, and churches. We just have these letters, these laws, bylaws, and commitments, and doctrines, of which came out of a good place, and that in one sense we want to affirm.
0: Yeah. And so, um, you can see, all these have a common pattern to them, and if our denominations are going to become mission organizations. They've got to reexamine these things. What about soteriology? I don't what know what about that word means. Soteriology. What about the way we think about salvation oh. in Christ? I was just reading, and I don't know if you're going to have that little section you like to do at the end of the sure. podcast where books we are reading or whatever. What's you reading? <clears throat> but... Uh, you know, reading NT Wright, Paul, and his interpreters uh, helps us see how the soteriology—let's call it the substitutionary forensic view—of the okay, we're going to have some riff raff now, uh, torture us on the windows of the Griffith Conference Center. Hey, hey, we're live! Hey, hey, we're live! We're busting in our podcast, and Eddie is coming in and busting in. Hey, what can you say about Northern Seminary while you're here? Just Northern is the best. Northern uh, is the Northern, best. Northern is the best. I love it. And, and who's your favorite professor? <laughs> 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 All right, okay, let's get back to it. Where were we? Oh, Soteriology. Soteriology. Um uh yeah. Forensic substitutionary view of the atonement, as as N.T. Wright says in those first two chapters of Paul and his interpreters, he makes it. He, he just helps make it so clear how Calvin and Luther were dealing with a medieval Europe cultural context, responding to Catholic uh, malaise of of trying to escape. and And the biggest question of medieval Europe was what happens when we die, because of frankly, the shortened shortened lifespans, et cetera, et cetera, and and the torture and the guilt of the Roman Catholic edifice. And so, and I'm not trying to diss Roman Catholicism, but at that particular period of time, that's what it was. Now, the question is, do we hold on to a particular articulation of soteriology that comes from the 15th, 16th century, or do we try to take the whole council of the Bible, and all that Paul, all the apostles, all that Jesus Christ is trying to say that God is doing in himself, Jesus Christ, for the world? And do we try to articulate afresh uh, what it means to be saved, what it means to say Jesus is Lord of my life, what it means to say God is at work in the whole world, reconciling uh, the world to himself in Christ, and how do we participate in that? I think this is another case, where we have to do some work, where we got too narrow and too we, we canonized too narrow a view of soteriology and we need to open it up for a fuller understanding.
1: All right, so you covered a couple different uh, places where our doctrines link to denominations and they become kind of uh, dead weights that then we're pulling, that are slowing us down and keep us from uh, doing our effective mission. And then a lot of young leaders come up and say, well... I think I can affirm what you want to affirm, but I don't say it the same way you want. And then the older people are like, no, you have to say it the way we want you to say it, right? And there's just like – there's this total disconnect. Uh, but we're not saying that denominations should come to an end. No. Are
0: we? And we're not saying – that a high view of authority of scripture that in the 1920s is no longer important in the 2015s we're not saying that we just we're not might affirm saying that, a
1: high view of scripture in a different way
0: yeah and the eschatology of Jesus return and his coming bringing the kingdom to a conclusion we are not saying that that's not true or important it's just we're saying we're saying that we need to continue to
1: contextualize and uh, our articulate theology. it and and what
0: and articulate it in a way that makes sense. You know what? I'm not even saying that we need to think carefully about how we drink alcohol in public. I'm not even saying that's not a bad thing. Or that's that's a bad thing. I'm saying we probably need to do that, but we need to do it in a different way than a hundred years ago.
1: Right. So how? So what would be some advice? Let us be And same way with
0: soteriology, yes. I believe Jesus has come to save the world and call us to his lordship over our lives and our world. But we need to articulate that in a way that is not just uh, captive to the 15th or 16th century Europe world.
1: So now that we've made the case that denominations need to be missions, mobilizations, movements, rather than denominational institutions, uh, how can people like us live within denominations and not just go independent, rogue, uh, I'm just going to go plant a church and not be affiliated with anyone, which is a funny thing because now we know a lot of churches who are unaffiliated that are looking for affiliation. They want to be connected to something bigger. So how how do we live within these systems even while trying to call it back yeah. to its roots?
0: Yeah, well, this is the struggle. And, and frankly, it's on it's on both the, the young pastors and it's on the denominations. And frankly, uh, you and I have been busy calling young pastors uh, into... Uh, Uh, Those people are making too much noise out there. Uh, We've been putting it all on uh, the young pastors. I think the denominations need to respond and need to do it intentionally, and it has to come from the central leadership. And they need to see that if they don't change and develop and grow Mm -hmm. theologically, that they are going to die.
1: Right, so there's a way of staying on the inside and trying to push and nudge people in a certain direction. Um, people who are staying on the inside and are not—they're not trying to disconnect themselves. Uh, there needs to be a way of testing, and I, I think for us, we've often tried to call to look at the the beginning movements of our denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, and try to affirm those good things and ask, well, why aren't we still doing those things? Why aren't these original impulses not still animating this this group and this denomination? And I think that's been helpful, uh, and we have a great president right now. But what are some other things that people can do uh, to stay connected, even in the midst of maybe some confusion and... Uh, discouragement.
0: Well, I think that we need as, as communities to see ourselves as grassroots revolutionaries, grassroots local communities working out what it means to be Jesus communities of mission and pushing our denominations from the ground up. Uh, frankly, I worry that not much change can come from the top down. But as we concentrate and focus on being faithful Communities of witness to God's work in His kingdom in Jesus Christ and and the people uh, see what's going on, uh, they can't deny it and they'll accept and uh, uh, and participate in a dialogue as to how we can change some of these picayune things <laughs> Picky-une. that are keeping us from ministry and mission.
1: So that's a bottom-up approach, witnessing to a different way while even in a sense affirming kind of the old doctrines and distinctives. But if you could... If you could t- say and speak to some of the people on top, some of the presidents, vice presidents of local denominations or heads of seminaries and schools, what would you encourage them to remember?
0: Um, I, I would encourage them, we all need to remember that money uh, is a difficult thing to deal with. Okay, But sometimes we need trust and faith that God shall supply when we, even, when we receive and speak prophetic words one to another. And I think there needs to be a, some prophetic words in the uh, halls of, of administration and leadership of our denominations.
1: Prophetic words. Amen. So uh, we're going to shift over to what you're reading really quickly, and then we're going to wrap up this. Can I say, say you one more? Yeah. One,
0: one more word. Um, I'm, I also think, like you and I are part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. We love our denomination. We're not just talking about the Christian Missionary Alliance. We're talking basically about all denominations, uh, mainline, evangelical, etc. Uh, but I do think that our denomin- all our denominations were founded for good reasons. Like in the Christian Missionary Alliance, the the call to love and be with and preach, proclaim the gospel to the poor was a founding uh, uh, precept of A.B. Simpson and the movement in New York, uh, the fourfold gospel and, and the healing ministry and and the idea that God is bringing in his kingdom, so powerful. The, the, the need to go and, and spread the gospel to all parts of the world, so beautiful. Uh, so the last thing I'll say to everybody is, Go back to your founders of your denominations. Look, you were kind of saying this earlier, right. but I'm just trying to reemphasize it. A.B. Simpson. Look A. W. Tozer. for why it was started and called the denomination to that and more. Um, so anyways, that'll, I think all of that really helps us understand how we are to be in dialogue and work for the furtherance of mission through the help of our denominations.
1: Amen. So along with uh, some of these doctrines, you talked about soteriology and atonement and what does salvation look like, what you've been reading, I've been reading this great book. It's huge, So, but don't be intimidated. It's really good. It's called Atonement, Justice, and Peace by Darren uh, Belosek. Atonement, Justice, and Peace, the Message of the Cross and the Mission of the Church, and it really goes through all the atonement theories, but not just as theories, but the biblical text, and really asks, well, what are these texts really saying, and are they saying what we're often told that they're speaking about? He really wants to turn on its head this idea that the cross and God's wrath is all about retribution, but it's, uh, and show that instead, the different passages from the Old Testament all the way up to the crucifixion and resurrection is really about God's work of restoration. Not retribution, but retribution. Restoration, so it's been really powerful. I've been reading just about the first third of it. It's uh, it's fantastic. fantastic. What you've been reading? Me,
0: I've been reading as I just already mentioned. N.T. writes a uh, new book, Paul and His Interpreters, and uh, Scott McKnight on his blog, Jesus Creed, has uh, I don't know three or four parts to where you already out i got to tell you that I love New Testament theology. Uh, It's it's probably uh, for those who have already read and are comfortable with N.T. Wright, some of his hypotheses and his understanding of the New Testament. But now we're going to understand all the different, you know, the three or four main schools of understanding the New Testament. I think one of the big lacks we have uh, is uh, on the ground in our churches is, is an understanding of what God's doing in the New Testament through Jesus Christ and what the Apostle Paul's saying. So I just think this is a great book, and I recommend it.
1: All right, excellent. So that's what you're reading. Uh, so this has been about denominations and denominationalism. Uh, thank you for joining us. Don't forget that the uh, Missional Commons, which was on the Mission of Preaching, we're slowly pushing out those episodes as special episodes. Uh, So be ready and looking for those. Make sure you don't miss them. Missional Learning
0: Commons was one of the best we ever had this year. It was the best one.
1: 2015 Missional Learning Commons was the best that we had. This is what everyone says. Um, Multiple polls um, say that to be true. Uh, so, but if you don't want to miss any of this stuff, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, or whatever app that you normally use. Stitcher? We would love. That's a different app. Don't oh, worry about wow, it. That's it's, amazing. Uh, and please leave us reviews. It's one of the best ways to let us know what you're thinking. Uh, that's all from Northern Seminary. And we're glad to be hosted by Northern and Missio Alliance. We will see you next time.